For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's podcast is sponsored by my new favorite animated TV show, Tuttle Twins, the first cartoon series to teach kids principles of freedom, economics, and liberty, and to be funny in the process. Nowadays, hidden political agendas are constantly forced on your kids in entertainment and in schools. Tuttle Twins is a hilarious cartoon series that teaches kids about the principles of freedom without being overly preachy. It's educational and hilarious, and there are lots of jokes for adults too. The best part? You can watch Tuttle Twins entirely for free. Just go to TuttleTwins.tv, that is TuttleTwins, T-U-T-T-L-E-T-W-I-N-S dot TV, and over there you can watch all of the episodes for free. One more time, that's TuttleTwins.tv. Highly recommend it. Go check it out. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we are going to be talking to an awesome guy. He has been in the world of trading for many, many years. And this is the one and only Peter Brandt. Welcome to the show. Golly. Uh, I mean, it's I can't believe that we're here face to face because we have gone back and forth on Twitter. Uh, we've touched base, right? we've direct tweeted, we've commented on each other's tweets. And I tried to get you. I so much wanted to get you to Tucson. I really believe I could have I could have filled up my house with people. You would have a place to stay. I would have heated the pool. Uh, you know, I would have introduced you to all my friends. And it would have been great to have had you here. I'm sure we and you have got to come and see the desert in Tucson. We're in the Sonoran Desert, which is really neat. This is not like the desert that you picture in Africa. This is vegetation. We are crazy right now with wildflowers on our cactus. We have deserts that are just filled with the saguaro cactus, which is the beautiful cactus that has all of the arms sticking out and they're huge and it, it's just pretty. The desert here is just a wonderful place, pretty place. And it would have been more pretty with the face of Zuby here too <laughs> as well. Yeah. I'm so honored. Thank you very much, yeah. Peter. I appreciate yeah. that. So for people who aren't familiar with you, Peter, please tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. Well, you know, I, as a young guy, you know, in my mid twenties, I, I, I lived in Chicago, got introduced to the world of 
trading grains, became a member of the Chicago Board of Trade. And this is, you know, this is like 1975 um, and started trading grains. And I've been basically a gambler. I, I, I you know, I think of myself as a grain trader or a trader of commodities. But mm. I think for most people who don't understand that, I place bets. I place bets on the price of the British pound. I have a bet right now on the price of the British pound. I place bets on crude oil, on gold, on corn, on interest rates, on the U.S. stock market, on the Japanese stock market. And it's what I've done uh, basically to earn my living ever since 1975. I've been a a commodity speculator, a speculator in the commodity futures markets. And then uh, I got talked into writing a, a book in 2011 by a, a very respectable publishing house in the United States, uh, John Wiley and Sons. And I, I wrote a book on my trading called The Diary of a Professional Commodity Trader. I'm not hawking books, by the way. If they want to buy a book, you buy buy stuff from Zuby. I mean, I'll, I'll, show you, <laughs> I'll show you what the Zuby library is here. Oh, in, awesome. In, in awesome. Us. I, okay, I don't know. That kind of has a glare to it, but <laughs> we've we've got them all. Man, uh, I'm, I mean, honored. I'm honored. Yeah, I mean, it, it's that's not it. We've got more here, folks. I mean, in the greatest and latest, right? For anyone, I mean, anyone who's listening to just the audio, Peter has all of my albums, and he's holding them up to the camera right now. Yeah, I, I mean, my my grandkids they come over and they sleep over because we help kind of shuttle the grandkids around. We've got two uh, grandsons here in Tucson. We've got three more in Minnesota where we spend five months of the year, and they come over and kind of we we restrict their listening, but they they can recite they can recite the words to Zuby. <laughs> you know, hey, I became a hip hop artist. I know fans through you. I never listened to hip hop music <laughs> before you, right? But you know, okay, dude, and you know they they know the words and they come over and they sing them and uh, along with you and you know. So I wrote this book in 2011, thinking nobody's going to want to read anything about what I do, and lo and behold, it becomes the best-selling finance book on Amazon for like 25 straight weeks. I'm going, who are these people around the world? I I mean, it ends up getting translated into seven or eight different languages. And each time I, I, it gets translated, I'm going, you know, how, how in the world do they know about this old guy who lives in the United States? And so then the publisher set me up on Twitter and I happen to be lucky enough to make some huge calls on the market. You know, the 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 top in 2011 and silver at 50 bucks, and uh, you know, and I'm pretty outspoken on Twitter, uh, kind of like you, but maybe not as outspoken. Uh, at least, <laughs> at least on the same issues, right? Yeah. So I developed this huge Twitter following, and you know, I've got like 650,000 thousand followers on twitter and you know which kind of makes my my grandkids brag me up they go oh, i got a grandpa who's got six hundred thousand followers on twitter <laughs> and i don't know who these people are and i don't know why they follow me to tell you the truth 
<laughs> uh, but, you know, I discovered you on Twitter. And I don't know how that is, right? I mean, you run across somebody and I go, boy, this is an interesting guy. And, uh, you know, it ends up that you're vocal and you're vocal on the kind of the, a lot of the same issues I'm vocal on. Although I make an exception. Primarily, I want to tweet about markets, right? Mm -hmm. and so that's my deal. And so I will come in and I'll make comments on social and political issues. As a rule, I generally, uh, you know, I generally take them down and uh, delete them after, uh, after 24 hours or so only because I want to keep my Twitter feed kind of clean mm -hmm. based on the reasons why I really want people to follow me. Uh, or I see stuff by you or other people and I retweet it. And again, after a period of time, I generally will del delete my retweet again. Mm -hmm. because, so, so I kind of look at myself in terms of social, the issues that you care about and I care about as, as kind of guerrilla warfare, right? Like the Vietnamese, <laughs> the way they fought the Americans. You come in and you blast it and then you, you retreat back into the forest. And so the, on Twitter, that's kind of the way I am, whether it's on gender issues or race issues or COVID or uh, Joe Biden or, or <laughs> uh, uh, Camilla Harris or whatever it is. I kind of come in and I, I take a shot and I'm like the Vietnamese Viet Cong and you know, I, I, I pull the trigger a few times and then, you know, I retreat back into the jungle and yeah. <laughs> post some charts on the, you know, on the chart of the S&Ps. So that's, that's the way it is. And I've just, you know, it, Hey, I, I mean, I started following you. I think, you know, I, I don't know, maybe early COVID, right. 2020. Mm -hmm. And there's so much you and I can talk about here. What a crazy two years. I mean, is there, I'm mid seventies. I'm not going to give you an age because I, that's protected interest. If I knew you better, <laughs> I would. Uh, <laughs> let's just say I'm going on eighties, you know, okay. I mean, the next big mark for me is eighties. Mm -hmm. And, but I don't think there's been another two years that I've been alive where so much has happened. Right. I mean, you have the craziness of COVID. You have Donald Trump. You have the the whole racial stuff take place in the United States. You've got the war in Ukraine. You've got inflation. You've got uh, gender confusion. You've mm -hmm. got, you know, the number of things that are taking place. It's just a crazy time. And Do you think you, it's, um, sorry to jump in. Do you, do you think it's, more than ever before or do you think it's that we're seeing it and that we're able to just have so much information in front of us what do you think what's the balance on that no i think it's more than ever before but yeah. you know it's kind of like the pace of learning right they say knowledge now doubles every x amount of time and mm -hmm. you know the rate of change and the rate of discovery uh on medical breakthroughs are is accelerated i just think we live in a world where you know we've all got on the treadmill and we've increased the speed of the treadmill and once we increase the speed of the treadmill you either got to hop off or you got to mm -hmm. keep pace and mm -hmm. just the pace of things happening is in faster than it's ever happened before i hear that
So, so Peter, I'm, I'm interested to know how you, how do you get into the world of trading to begin with? You, you summarized it really briefly, but um, it's something you got into as a young man. So what exactly was it that led you down that rabbit hole and kept you there? Well, you know, I, I, wor I worked in advertising. I worked for uh, what, I'd, what became the largest advertising, ever, advertising firm uh, in the world, uh, Omicom. Mm -hmm. uh, I think headquartered actually now in the UK. But at the time, it was Needham Harper and Steers, became Needham DBH, but, you know, massive, massive accounts. And, and that was what I studied in college. And so, you know, Minnesota, born and raised in Minnesota, lived in Minnesota, had a family super young. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had, uh, my wife was a teenage mother and I was still in the middle of college and, you know, we had kids and I worked my way through college with three jobs. And so we moved to Chicago and I met a guy through youth sports. Actually, it was my, my, my older son was playing hockey. I met another father. He was a trader at the Chicago Board of Trade. And I knew nothing about that other than he said, come on down, have lunch with me in the members uh, dining room on the fifth floor of the Chicago Board of Trade, overlooking the fourth floor and the trading pits. And people are yelling and screaming and uh, fight, fist fights break out <laughs> and it's crazy. And I just went like, wow, I, you know, I found my place in the world. This, this, I don't know anything about it. I don't know how it's going to work. But I really want to try this. And so I approached the head, the, the advertising firm at the time, Needham Harper and Steers. And I approached Dick Needham and said, hey, I want to, uh, I was on the young guy fast track. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to try going to be, be the board of trade. If I, if I blow out, if I can't make it, will you hire me back in a year for a 20% raise? And he said, yes. And so I, I kind of had the freedom to fly, right? Mm. I mean, I, I had a, uh, I, if I fell off the high wire, there was a net underneath me. And so I learned the business and, you know, which took me longer than I really thought. Um, you know, I thought, hey, I'm smart. I work hard. It's going to come to me. I found that the, the 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 wall of learning was a little steeper than I had thought, and you know it took me a few years to to to, to get there. I you know I save up a little money, put it in an account, and blow it out. I think I blew out two three accounts before <laughs> I finally found my stride. Uh, but you know we're seeing a lot of young people, you know, through the Robin Hood. In the United States, uh, I mean, we're seeing the younger generation get into market speculation, uh, you know, through cryptos or mm -hmm. through uh, these crazy stops like stocks like GameStop or whatever it is. So we've seen a whole new generation of 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 people come in and become interested in market speculation which is really what it was for me, but it was speculation through commodity markets, which for the most part, it still is. And uh, I, I just finally figured out that, you know, I could make a living. I could make a living by uh, buying and selling live cattle or treasury bonds or British pounds or Swiss francs or corn. Uh, and so that's pretty much now what I've done 
there was a brief period of time when I really burned out. I, I mean, because it's pretty intense. I mean, mm -hmm. being a trader is an intense deal. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, after I had been in the business like 20 years, I had burned out and I kind of took a sidetrack and became active in kind of political issues, became an NGO at the United Nations. And so I kind of took a, a lobbyist in Washington really on issues that you blog about, you know, a lot of the things you, you blog about, mm -hmm. I, I, I was interested in back then. I'm a libertarian, I'm a conservative, I'm a Christian. Mm. And um, so I took the little uh, side path, a sidebar in my life for a decade and then came back in and have traded since. And we have, you know, it's a glo I have a global trading firm. We've, you know, we've got a presence in, Europe. I actually have a, a, an office in Bulgaria. I have a trader in Bulgaria. We have, uh, we're headquartered in Milwaukee. I kind of go back and forth between Minneapolis and Tucson. And we've got an office in Manhattan. And we trade these crazy markets. And uh, I, like you, just kind of can't keep my finger away from pushing tweet. And, <laughs> and and more often than not, it's, you know, as you know, it's controversial. You went through that. I'd mm -hmm. like to hear about that where you kind of got down for a bit. And I could relate to that where mm -hmm. you put something out that you sincerely believe in. You, it makes sense to you. And you just get slammed by the trolls. <laughs> uh, and you, you got down and even questioned, is, should I even continue on Twitter? Which, when are you referring to? Are you referring to recently or? You know, I think 2020, 2020. I, I think you went through a period in 2020 where you, you, you became a little bit discouraged. Now, I think even expressed mm. on Twitter is, should you keep doing this in light of the fact that you just, you know, people just slam you for some of the things you were saying. And I can't, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember this specific moment. Cause I, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever had a time where I thought of like yeah. leaving. I've certainly had moments. I mean, I've moments. I've faced, yeah, moments. Yeah, I've faced tons yeah. and tons of backlash. I've, I've certainly yeah. had moments where I'm just like, Oh my gosh, what is, what is going on now? Like, what is this landmine that I've stepped on that's exploded or, you know, people of all sorts of different groups of people have, you know, decided to direct their vitriol at me at different times. It's rare for it to ever last more than 48 hours. Um, so you kind of just have to weather the storm whenever that happens. Um, but, you know, I've, I've before, before any of the internet stuff, I mean, I used to sell my CDs on the street. Um, not everyone knows that. So some of those CDs you got there, you know, I, I, I built up my audience in the UK from you know starting in 2006 and you know i was selling my stuff directly to the public hand to hand until 2018 late 2018 so for many years i was just out on the street and then eventually i started doing pop-up shops so i've spoken to hundreds of thousands of people and i've sold tens of thousands of copies of my cds hand to hand so i've faced all kinds of love hate positivity negativity praise criticism hate all of that i've had that face to face even so when it comes to the online stuff um you know there's not really much anyone can can say to me that i haven't experienced already at this point so sometimes it gets annoying sometimes it gets frustrating sometimes it feels like the the negative is outweighing the positive temporarily 
but that's usually just an illusion um, in, in the real world and also online. The amount of love and appreciation and kindness and generosity um, has been phenomenal. I mean, I can go to most, you know, any decent sized city in the USA and organize a meetup and, you know, 100 people, 100 people will show up and, you know, at late notice and we'll, we'll just hang out and have good conversations and wherever I go now, um, whatever city I'm in, even even different countries, um, you know, I've had people stop me on the street in many places, you know, of course, all over the UK and the US, but in, in Turkey and Mexico, in wow. places, you know, just people recognize me. Oh, yeah, like I follow you online, you know, I follow you on Twitter or on Instagram or I listen to your podcast, checked out your music, whatever it is. I'm always just trying to offer things that help motivate and inspire other people and encourage people to think. And I love human beings as much as as much as they can be frustrating. You know, I think people are yeah. both the best and worst thing in the world. But I, I want people to fulfill their potential or strive to. Mm-hmm. Um, we yeah, can be, we can all be better mentally, physically, spiritually, relationally, how we communicate, how we interact. I'm not perfect. Nobody is, but I'm always striving to make myself better. And in doing so, I can set an example and also create stuff, whether it's music, whether it's podcasts, whether it's public speaking, whether it's books. Um, I've got my first children's book coming out in July, which is exciting. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Anything I can do that will help people uh, based on my talents and interests, then that that's what I'm about. That's That's essentially my life mission. So... You know, and God is always with me. So even when uh, yeah, certain humans get mad at me, you know, yeah, yep, yep, yeah. God, God is there. I've got my family. I've got my friends as well. Yeah, so it yeah. Keeps me grounded. That that's a great safety net. So I'm curious. So you know, I know that you have some other business interests. Of course, you want to sell your music, and mm-hmm. you know, you speak and you do things like that. When did it help your record sales? when you became the female world record holder <laughs> of the deadlift? Uh, yeah, it, it definitely. Um, I mean, Peter, you, you know, when I tweeted that, so that tweet was February 26, 2019. So just over three years ago, when I posted that tweet, I'd been on Twitter for 10 years and I had about 18,000 followers at the time. Um, today i'm as we record this i'm at seven hundred sixty thousand, and that's just wow. on twitter wow um, across all the social media platforms i had about fifty thousand followers and now it's about 1.3 million um amazing organic so the growth over the past couple of years has been it's it's been crazy you know and, and uh yeah it's led to more people listening to and you know checking out my music but it's it's just grown it's grown everything and it's led to this huge world of opportunities. The problem always used to be not having enough opportunities. Now the problem is, uh, is having too many and not being able to, uh, manage all of the bandwidth, but that's a, that's a beautiful position to be in. So I've worked very hard to get here. It's been well over 15 years and I've still got a long way to go, but, um, I feel grateful every single day. Well, you're, you're making it, you, you know, you're an inspiration to a lot of people. And I, I'm not, you know, I'm sure that you've heard people say that, but you really are. You've inspired me in a lot of ways. Thank you. Uh, and, you know, so, yeah, you know, some of the things you post are fun and, you know, they're meant to be fun. Some are serious comedy mm-hmm. or parodies on the world. Um, when you were the female deadlift 
world record holder did you would you have imagined then that the the national collegiate athletic association the ncaa in the united states would uh would award uh the national swimming record to somebody that the babylon b reported was using in you know a performance enhancing testicles uh, <laughs> i mean it's a serious thing was yeah. that the logical conclusion of you being yes. the deadlift champion it, it was i i mean that's why i posted that video back in 2019 because i i saw this issue coming i want to say from 20, 2015, 2016, I saw this coming and I remember having conversations with people about this in 2016, 2017, saying that this was going to happen. And like with many things, until it happens, people think that you're being uh, silly or that you're being a so-called conspiracy theorist. Or, oh, come on, oh, come on, Zui, that's not going to happen. Like, that's that's too silly. And I'm like, look, this is the this is the logical conclusion of it. And there had been certain incidents that had happened in uh, mixed martial arts. There had been um, a biological male fighter who had, you know, smashed up a couple of women. There had been a little th few things popping up in athletics and in uh, various sports. And so I had my eye on that. And then, um, I mean, that's what spurred me to create the video. And, and then, um, you know, I was like, oh, let me just put this out there. I didn't know it was going to explode internationally. <laughs> in the way that it did i just posted it yeah there. Just, just like you know as you say when you're on twitter sometimes if you're active on there you you, you know I, I post a dozen two dozen tweets a day um as they come to my mind and I, i'm not sitting there plotting thinking okay this one definitely is going to this is going to be the one that's going to introduce me to millions of people that's not what i thought yeah i just thought this is funny and you know it, it's making me laugh and it's interesting and it's relevant so I just put it out there and within about 10 minutes, I think the video had over 10,000 views within an hour. I think it had broken a hundred thousand. And from then on, it just, it just took on a life, took on a life of its own. Um, and that happens sometimes and it's, it can be difficult to manufacture. Um, I'm a musician, right? I would love to right. have a song that I can just put out one song and boom, it just uh, attracts the attention of millions of people, but it's, it's not easy to, manufacture these moments and you sort of have to tap into the zeitgeist and sometimes it's a matter of the the timing and the framing and the wording and whether or not something has a video that can make anything go viral yeah so yeah no absolutely absolutely i know that on twitter i'll put something out and you know i'm a chartist i draw funny lines on price graphs that's what mm -hmm. i do and i'll put something out there and i found that uh, the crypto nerds particularly like to throw hate at me if I make any suggestion that maybe the price of their cryptos is going to decline. And uh, mm -hmm. somebody will tweet at me and say, you're just uh, an old white boomer, and to which I respond. Actually, I self-identify as a 19-year-old pregnant lesbian black lady. And uh, because, you know, hey, you can self-identify any way you want now. Mm -hmm. But, I, hey, I've got a question for you. Had you been to the United States for any length of exposure prior to your trip? Yeah, I've been to the U.S. maybe in total, probably about six, maybe six to eight times in my life. Um, I first came to the U USA, I think, when I was four years old. I remember going, going to Florida with my family when I was four. And then um, used to have an uncle that lived in Indiana, so came to Indiana a couple times. 
uh, came to Boston, came to New York once for an event. And then um, in 2019, oh no, actually, I came, I came to Chicago in 2008 because I had some uh, training for, my, for my, my corporate job I was doing at the time. And then the first sort of solo trip I did to the U.S. as an adult was in 2019. Yeah. That was after this thing blew up. And then that was the first time I went on Joe Rogan and I went on the Rubin Report, the Ben Shapiro Show and, and many other many other big platforms. And then I was going to come back in 2020, but uh, the world decided to shut down entirely. So yeah. I, had to, I had to cancel my 2020 trips. But then mid-2021... I came back out and spent a few months here, and then um, yeah, I've, I've 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 got a U.S. visa now, so yeah, I'm I'm I can be here now indefinitely <laughs> for the next few years if I if I choose to. So um, yeah, so we um, through our church and through the because of a civil war that was taking place in Ethiopia uh, back you know in the 1980s, early 1990s, mm-hmm. we. We adopted uh, a young African-American boy who we got to the United States through the Red Cross. They brought him over here through, uh, got him out of the country, went through Switzerland, into Boston, into northern Minnesota, arrived in northern Minnesota, uh, didn't speak a word of English, didn't have a coat on his back. It was 30 below. Mm. Uh, But and so, you know, here in a small town, my exposure, I've never considered myself a, a racist and of course we're living through a period where accusations of racism are thrown around like crazy here mm-hmm. not only in the u.s but around the world of course but i'm curious on your trips to the u.s particularly in the last couple of years i've i just don't see america as this sure certainly there are racist people and there are racist people everywhere there are racist blacks toward whites. There are mm-hmm. racist this toward that. Racist men toward women. Women toward men. Class toward class. Yeah. But I just have never. And maybe I'm just to miss the ball completely. I just have never <laughs> felt like I, either I or my family or my neighbors or my country is this mm-hmm. big racist entity. And I'm wondering in your trips how you kind of read things. Man, I've been, um, the USA is one of my favorite countries. I've I've had zero racist experiences at any time in my life within this country. Um, I've been embraced by, I mean, the amount of, it's it's quite, quite the opposite, right? The amount, amount of love I get in this country is, is insane. Um, so, you know, I think it's interesting because the same thing happens in the UK. And I think when it comes to both the UK and the USA, you know, the the greatest critics of the nations are, you know, are are people with it within the countries themselves. And oftentimes, people are per- comparing to a perfect human utopia that doesn't exist and has never existed when they're making some of these charges and claims. The exact same thing happens in the UK, by the way. People will say, oh, you know, the UK is a racist country. Or people say the USA is a racist country. Some people will even go as extreme as saying the USA is the most racist country in the world, which is a, a telltale sign that they have not been anywhere and don't know anything about the world. Um, these, these are nonsensical terms. I mean, if you compare, I mean, the, the, the question is always compared to what? 
right? Both in terms of history and also in terms of world geography, right? So if someone is, wants to make the claim that, you know, the USA is a very racist country, it's like, okay, well, what are you comparing to, right? Everyone acknowledges that there are racist people, right? Racist people exist. Racist ideas exist. It's not remotely unique to any country. You can travel across Africa. You can travel across Asia, you can, the Middle East, South America, any part of the world, and you will find that there are examples of racism or ethnic tribalism or xenophobia and so on. In fact, if you go to many of those countries, you can go to places, you know, across Africa and where to an outsider, uh, the, the citizens of that nation may, might, might look the same to you. And the levels of tribalism or racism in between some of those ethnicities within the same country um, is far more severe than any type of uh, moder racism that exists in the modern UK or modern US. So when people make those type of claims, they're, you know, I think normally they're either based in naivety um, or their or ignorance or sometimes just just malice because they, you know, you can acknowledge the existence of something um, without massively over without massively exaggerating the reality of it um and i and i don't think it's fair to the people of those countries to paint this picture that you know they're these horrible places to live hey look and it, it doesn't matter i mean what makes the usa and uk special is that regardless of who you are regardless of your nationality skin color ethnic background religion, gender, sexuality, so on and so forth, that in this modern era right now in 2022, no matter where you fit in in those categories, there aren't going to be very many places in the world that are going to treat where, where the people and even the laws are going to treat you as strive, strive to treat you um, as fairly and equally as possible. So I, I reject those notions. Um, I, th I think there are a lot of people in our society right now in different countries who, who enjoy being agitators and who enjoy like yeah, every, yeah, right? yeah. enjoy painting people as, as these villains and having these, having these image, these ideas in their head and, and spreading this sort of fear and negativity and division and polarization and so on. Um, often, oftentimes it's their whole career and I don't think it's accurate and I, I don't think it's helpful. I think if the goal is to, um, you know, have a more positive and cohesive society, then yes, it's good to identify problems and issues as they arise or where they might be. It's interesting. It's good to shine a spotlight on them when there are certain incidents that happen, but you don't want to paint with such a broad brush that it makes it sound like everybody or the entire system or the entire society is some terrible thing that it's not. Oh, no, I agree. And, you know, politically, I'm a libertarian. Sure. Uh, which I think plays itself out in how I look at some social issues and a lot of things. So, hey, uh, you know, I'm not uh, enamored with the, the Republican Party in the United States. But I will tell you, the loony left here in the United States, it's crazy. You look at the reaction to the whole Twitter thing, right? Mm. The whole Twitter thing. It's loony. It's lunatic. And... Uh, 
you know, personally, I think it's good that, you know, Elon Musk has bought Twitter. I think, it, you know, maybe I think people will see that as time goes on. Yeah, because the the there is a left leaning media here now. People blame that Fox. Of course, people accuse Fox of being. And I look at Fox. My wife is a Fox junkie. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, Zuby, uh, she now wants to get the facts. The Fox streaming service. Oh, wow. I told her, <laughs> yeah. Not only are you not getting the Fox streaming service, I may call my internet provider and have Fox turned off to you. <laughs> I, I mean, I ser- I know how much Fox she's been watching because I may come home from something I'm doing, and if she's in a bad mood, I can pretty much bet that she's overconsuming <laughs> Fox for that particular day. Right. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I mean, personally, I'll take. You know, I listen to. NPR to Fox to I personally like El Jazeera because I think while mm. it tends to spin things dealing with the Mid East in a particularly kind of pro Arab way, it deals with European news and American news in a I think in actually a pretty fair way. Yes, and so online, if I'm just sitting in the office, often I'll stream El Jazeera and see what their spin is in the world. Or I'll listen to NPR and see what their spin is. Mm-hmm. Or I'll listen to my wife and hear what Fox's spin is. <laughs> but then I want to do my own research and kind of make up for my own mind uh, what I am. Because I look at certain things, I think, you know, almost in a socialist way. And I look at other things in the way that uh you know an independent voter will look at some things and then other things you know i'm a republican so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know i don't tend to you know hang my hat on one particular thing but yeah so it it's we live we live in truly truly crazy times and you know yeah. we'll see all results yeah well i think what you're describing there is simply just being an independent free thinking individual right? Not everything is this false binary, right? It's, it's always trying to be painted as if there's two political opinions out there, right? That's it. <laughs> there's just two, you know, I mean, and I've said before many, many times that it, it, it's crazy to me that in a country of almost 350 million people, there are only two main political oh, parties. There it's are only nuts. two options. I mean, that it's is... Nuts. That, that That's bonkers to me. There are many countries with a fraction of the population of the USA, and they might have four, four or five, you know, significant, significant political parties. So at least there is more representation and it doesn't paint this sort of social picture of there just being these two options, red and blue, you know, right and left, um, liberal and conservative. Like it, it's, it's more human beings are more nuanced than that. And people's perspectives and ideas are more nuanced there is gray area yeah some stuff is a bit more black and white but there's a lot of gray area Um, and even if people reach similar conclusions they can have a very different epistemology and pathway to get there so two people might reach a similar conclusion but they got there by a very very different way of thinking and very different reasoning and all of this nuance is lost when people resort to a very simple binary dichotomy yeah and then name calling too i I mean my you know my observation is on just about any issue you want to make i mean religion politics social 
economic, you name it, that the mentality and sentiment in the United States looks like a traditional bell curve, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got some people way out on the left side of the bell curve. You got some people way out on the right side. But then, you know, the bell curve, the bell curve has this hump, right, where most people are kind of in the middle, a little bit left, a little bit right, but but pretty similar in their consensus where politically it's a concave curve mm. where you've got everybody piled up right, everyone piled up left. You look at most major votes that take place in Washington, and it's totally on party line. Yes. We're 20, 30 years ago. You, you had cooperation, you had negotiation, you had compromise on issues uh, where you don't have that now. Uh, you have a, somebody comes up for a Supreme Court or a major issue. Mm-hmm. Everyone votes along p- political lines. It's absolutely crazy. And, you know, if you have more political parties, you end up with a coalition government, mm-hmm. which means in the course of four years, you don't swing the pendulum way to the left, way to the right, but you moderate change. Mm-hmm. And I think in the process of moderating change, what would happen politically is you build in a bell curve uh, that takes place in centers of power, which tends to more appropriately reflect the sentiment and mood and mentality of the people being governed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and really, it shouldn't even be looked at as the people being governed. It looks it really needs to be the people who are administrating the governance that represents the people that are being governed. And that's mm-hmm. the ideal. And so... I don't know what it's going to take to return the United States to that sort of sanity, uh, but you're welcome to be part of that country if <laughs> you decide to become a U.S. citizen, like Thank my you. daughter-in-law decided <laughs> to be. Thank you. What do you think it is over the course of decades that has changed it in the way that you are describing? Because you you mentioned returning back to how things were previously. What do you think it's changed over the past 10, 20, 30 years that's led to where it is today? I I think it's human frailty, to tell you the truth. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think it's the sin nature of the human being. Mm -hmm. And not that people do not have good, positive, wonderful parts. I mean, human beings at the root are, they want good. They want good for their fellow man. But yet, you know, we're fallen creatures. And so I think power, power, people are driven to power. And they're driven to power to the degree to which a social structure or a political structure allows people to be driven to power. And Mm -hmm. so I think we've had a bifurcation in terms of power. And it's people that are lining up to grab the power. I think one of the worst things that we have in the United States is that people can become career politicians. Mm -hmm. And in the process, they can become dirty, wealthy people who go and become uh, lifetime politicians in the Mm -hmm. U.S. Congress or the U.S. Senate can go there poor and retire millionaires. Mm-hmm. And you know they can do insider trading. I'm a trader. They can be insider trading. They can do them legally. And so they mm-hmm. line up for power. And I think what's happened is that, it, is that special interest groups on the right and on the left, 
On the right, you may have groups like the pro-gun lobby. On mm -hmm. the left, you may have groups like uh, the pro-transgender lobby or the pro-abortion lobby. It, 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 it tends to be barking and, and have more and more of an impact in the political process. Mm -hmm. And so you have wings of government which are tending to play to special interest groups that are out on the fringes rather than reflecting the mood of the people. And I think that's one of the big reasons that we've had it. And I think that's been reinforced by, you know, I think, you know, an inequitable situation economically. I mean, I'm not a socialist. I don't want, I, I hate a lot about <laughs> socialism, but the reality is that income is not, not that everybody should be fairly appropriated economic means, but I, I think there's way too much wealth sitting in the hands of special interest groups in the United States, which mm -hmm. tends to accentuate what we have as a bifurcated bipolar government. Yeah, I, I think one challenge with the USA with everything, and I always I often have to remind my American friends of this, is that as far as the world is concerned, in terms of global history, the USA is like a teenager. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a young and experimental country. People forget just how recent the country is, and they mm -hmm. forget that it's founded not um, not just along standard borders or ethnicities like most countries is. Um, it's founded on ideals and ideas. And yes, it's taken a long time for those ideals to apply to everybody within the nation. I, I say a long time. As far as world history goes, it was actually a relatively short time. Um, but I, I think there are just a lot of growing pains. Um, I, I feel the same way about social media. People forget that social media and the smartphone combination has mm -hmm. only existed for 16 years. Yeah. Right. So all of the, the the screaming and the complaints and this and that about social media, I understand it totally. But I think people forget just how new it is. And it takes time to work things out and to find the right solutions. Right. So there are challenges now that social media is creating that didn't exist in 2010. Yeah, right? just, I just, think well, just so. 12 years ago, you know, the technology was there, but it hadn't yet had a time to find, oh, okay, how does this, what What are the impact? Of, oh, there's a, there's a whole pandemic situation, right? What's the role of social media in this? Should they be censoring people and banning? Should they be marking things as misinformation or whatever? Should they be fat? Like, to me, this is all kind of experimentation. And so you see the pros and the cons. I don't think when Jack Dorsey started Twitter, and when Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook, I don't think they were thinking, oh, this is a, I'm creating yeah, something. Yeah, I agree. It's going to influence elections and it's going to influence a global po pandemic policies. Well, no, I think they just thought, oh, I'm just going to make a cool app and people can connect on it and mm -hmm. uh, university students can use it or whatever. And then 14 years later, <laughs> yeah. 14, 15 years later, it's like, oh my gosh, like this thing has become this monster with hundreds of millions or billions of users oh, it's crazy. And all this responsibility and you have a you have governors and presidents and prime ministers who are you know de making demands of of you that twitter must do this and facebook might like 
I don't, I don't envy those people, man. I mean, that's a, that's not a simple, I don't think it's quite as simple as, as people make it out to be. And of course, people are always going to put their ideology into it and their ideas. Um, we're both libertarian leaning individuals. So we, you know, likely think, you know what, just have free speech, right? The Elon approach, right? That's why we're like, cool, yeah, right. Just I, have free speech, I like if that. It's legal, let yeah. people do it. But then there's going to be other people who think, uh, and also different countries have different laws. Here's another thing people forget. So yes, yes, take a yes. platform like Twitter. So the USA has its rules around free speech, which that's not the same as Canada even. That's not mm-hmm. the same as the UK. the UK. That's not the same as Germany. It's not the same as the Middle East. It's not yeah. the same as Pakistan, whatever. So yeah. if you're going to have this global platform, um, what are the, I don't even know from a legal perspective how that all applies because something might be illegal in this country. And then in another country, it's like, oh, no, that's that's okay. Um, And how is that all managed and moderated? I don't think it's quite as simple as people would like to think. And I I think um, with Elon taking over Twitter, that's definitely going to be a positive move as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, me too. It's gotten far more censorious over time. I've been on Twitter since 2009. So I've really seen these changes. Yeah, me Um, too. Me too. But I think that... You know, we're never going to get perfect. And I think that's something that humans struggle to accept is that we're, we're never going to have uh, something that is completely perfect and totally works for everybody. The best we can do is strive to have equality and fairness and apply the same rules and laws to different people and, and help people out and treat each other with kindness and compassion. But that doesn't mean we're going to get this equality of outcome myth. It doesn't mean that... Uh, nobody's going to fall behind. It doesn't mean that some systems are not, some people aren't going to be better adapted to certain systems than other people are. Um, That's just the reality of life. Hey, have you discovered and become an ardent fan of American football and American baseball yet? (laughs) I I actually have not. I mean, (laughs) they can't even make me an ardent fan of of football football, um, which always shocks and disappoints (laughs) people when they find out that I'm British because Oftentimes the first, the first question used to be, what's my opinion of Brexit? But now my, now the first question is, uh, you know, what football team do I support? And I, I don't support any football nor American football team. I don't support any professional sports teams. I'm uh, sports agnostic. So, um, well, you're not exercise agnostic, though. Oh, definitely. So not. You are definitely athletic not. and you do pursue athletic endeavors. Mm-hmm. Very much so. And I used to play sports. You know, I, I, I played rugby all the way through to university. I used to play baseball. I used to play, um, I used to play football um, or what Americans would call soccer. I used to be on a swimming team. Um, I've done all sorts of sports. I've played cricket. I've done rowing. I've done athletics. I've done a lot of different sports over the years. So I enjoy sports and obviously I'm, a big advocate for physical fitness, but um, I don't get into the uh, pro sports tribalism. <laughs> well, and you talk also about diet, right? I mean, yeah. good diet, uh, healthy living, good diet, a lot of tweeting. Uh, so what do you do if you're not rapping, you're not traveling, you're not. Hey, by the way, your video on pull ups, I, I had to watch that more than one time. That was pretty <laughs> impressive. I got to tell you, you, that was impressive. Thank you. But uh, yeah, yeah. So, what else do you do that bides your time? Wow. Well, after you've dis- after we've gone through all the things that I that I do that are somewhat connected to my c- career, directly or indirectly, there isn't that much free time. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like reading books. I like socializing. 
Um, but honestly, I, I do so many things that I love from this podcast to my music, to writing, traveling, public speaking, all the fit, the fitness stuff. Um, you know, I, I feel blessed to be in a position to make, to make a, a good living from all of that. Yeah. So yeah. I it doesn't get it. Feel, yeah. Like right now I don't feel, as I'm talking to you, I don't feel like this is work. You know, I'm no, not, I'm not talking I, to you I like, agree. okay, I got to go to work. I need to speak to Peter. It's like, no, I, I'm enjoying this conversation, but yes, this is part of my podcast. So it'll go out there. Um, and people can, you know, thousands of people are going to, are going to listen to this. Um, but I enjoy it. If I'm writing a song, if I'm in the studio making music, I'm doing a performance or I'm public speaking at an event, I enjoy it. I like it. I like being out there connecting with people. I've really missed that, um, over the past couple of years. Cause that was so stifled. Um, and yeah, I get to see a lot of cool cities and places and countries and meet a lot of people. So things are good. I'm very, I'm okay. Very you, let's say you have a choice. You've mm. got to commit for the rest of your life. The American cuisine or the British cuisine. American. Where does your, yeah. American. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the, U, the UK is not world renowned for its, <laughs> for its palate right I mean, uh, yeah <laughs> my, my my criticisms of american food are are more uh the well i i often say that i think the u.s has some of the best and some of the worst food in the world yeah i just think that there's there's such a broad range mm-hmm. you've got all the like weird processed franken food which is full of all sorts of nonsense that's not mm-hmm. good for you and is going to make you fat and unhealthy but there's also a gigantic range of great and nutritious and interesting and delicious food as well so it's it's kind of all there in the u.s i feel yeah what about tex-mex what do you think of tex-mex yeah it's good it's It's okay have you been down into the interior of mexico though no in mexico so far i've only been to playa del carmen and tulum so what's that area riviera de maya yeah Um, i want to go to mexico city um and a few other places yeah go to guadalajara Guadalajara, Guadalajara. that's where my daughter-in-law my my that married my son that's where she was she was she had to become american citizen so she had to go through all of the hoops Mm -hmm. and um so that's pretty crazy you got any any opinion of all this immigration stuff that you know that that's going on and the big argument over immigration in the united Mm -hmm. states any any thoughts not I haven't looked into it in enough enough depth myself. I just know what people have told me. Um, and I try not to form strong opinions on things until I've investigated them for myself yeah. rather than just going off of hearsay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a weird issue. Um, I don't, it's not something that's new either. I think it just kind of scales up and scales down. Yeah. But as far as I'm, as far as I remember my entire life, the, U.S. Mexico border has always been always, always been, been an, an issue. issue. Yeah, it has always been an issue. Yeah. It's always been a political hot potato. Mm-hmm. It's always been a controversy. But you know, I live in a city that's like forty five percent Hispanic, and mm-hmm. so in you know, I live in a county that borders Mexico, and you know, I while there are some issues on the border, there's no question there are some issues on the border. But there's also no question that people from other nationalities have made America what it is, right? I mean, 
my my grandparents came through Ellis Island off the coast of New York City. Mm-hmm. They they didn't have a visa. They they came into America without a visa. Uh, they came into America without a penny to their name. They had mm-hmm. to kind of uh, live the American dream, and you know that's gone from uh, you know people coming to the shores of the United States from Europe and then Asia and then South America and mm-hmm. Africa and you know in 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 all sorts of places. And so that's the American story: is people coming here and wanting to make more out of their lives. Most definitely. Peter, it's been amazing talking to you. What is the best place for people to follow you online? Well, I can go to at Peter L. Brandt. You know, Peter, that's a pretty easy name to spell. The letter L is a pretty uh, easy letter to remember. And then B-R-A-N-D-T. And, you know, they can catch me on a day when I'm writing little scribbles on price graphs talking about Bitcoin uh, or they can catch me on a day when I retweet something from the famed Zuby, or, <laughs> or they can catch me on a day when I have a comment about the United States efforts against COVID or crazy political things that are going on, at which case usually I, again, I, they better read it because within an hour or two <laughs> years later, I take those off and will continue to do so. So, okay. Yeah. Awesome, Peter. Thank you so much for your insights, man. It's been great to finally talk to you. I appreciate it. Yeah, that. yeah, it's been great. It's been great. Keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're, you're an inspiration to us, Zuby. You, you have great hip hop. You've made me a hip hop fan. Uh, you've made me a Zuby fan. I don't have a Zuby hat yet, but we'll get there. It, yeah, we'll get there. And we'll talk to you again. Nice one, Peter. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.